All right, hello everybody. This is your favorite Bronze Age comic book podcast, Flea Market Fantasy. I am your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right, and continuing the theme of Kings of Atlantis, uh, we are now jumping over to Marvel's King of Atlantis. Uh, so, Mike Dell, why don't you tell everyone what we're reviewing this week? Yeah, last week we did Aquaman, so I figured this week we'll do the real King of Atlantis, Submariner. Yes, yes. Namor the Submariner, and we're going to be right. doing issue 49 from 1972. Right. So it's pretty um, early. Well, we're getting caught because, again, the Bronze Age, we always like to say 70 to the end of the 80s, even though it's usually, what, 86 is usually? Yeah, it the, depends who you ask, but, yeah. But so we're getting close to the beginning here, 72. Yeah, this is, I was actually going to check the date on this because it felt definitely 60s-ish, eh? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so it's pretty good. Now, how much do you know about the Submariner, Michael? I've never, to be honest, I haven't read tons of Submariner. Um, but the coolest thing about him, and I'm sure that you'll talk about this, is that he's Marvel's first superhero. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, kind of. Depends well, we'll, if you count robots. Well, we'll have to, okay, well, once you get to your research, we'll have, I'll have to verify some of those facts, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, but Michael, when we're done with this uh, episode... I want you to make new business cards with some Mariner on them. Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe. <laughs> right. We'll see about that. So here's something I didn't know, Michael. Okay. That uh, some Mariner's real name is Namor McKenzie. Okay. I thought every Charlie nobody yes. on the street knew this. How did you not <laughs> I, know this? I knew his name was Namor. I didn't okay. know his last name was McKenzie. Like, so he's like the, the younger brother of uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie of Strange Bird. That's I right. Have no That's idea. Right. No idea. Yeah, I knew that. Because he, really, he likes to call people hosers and stuff underwater, and it's just weird. But now it makes sense. Exactly. Mackenzie. Yeah, I just thought he was Namor, just an Atlantean dude. I didn't know he had a last name. I had no idea that he was part human, part Atlantean. I knew that. Yeah, that's why, that's why he's a mutant. That's why he's got wings on his feet. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, because that's weird as well. Okay. Um, because technically he is Marvel's first mutant. I don't know if he's the first superhero, but first mutant. Well, I'll, have you come across a comic called Motion Picture Funnies Weekly? Yes. Well, let's get into that. Uh, sure. that's his, that was technically his first appearance, although it kind of never got published. It got scrapped. Um, it, Mo Motion Picture's Funny Weekly number one was meant to be distributed through movie theaters. Right. And uh, we should mention Submariner was created by uh, Bill Everett. That's right. Who I'm sure everyone knows also created Daredevil with Stan Lee. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and he created uh, Namor in response to Carl Burgess's creation of the Human Torch. So, if you count mm. the Human Torch as a superhero... Human Torch is first. But this is puzzling because the Human Torch didn't appear until Marvel Comics number one, and that came out after Motion Picture Funnies Weekly. But I guess he created it because he knew Burgess created the Human Torch, and he wanted to have a water response to his fire. Hmm. Oh, okay, so, I'll have to investigate this. Okay. But again, like that, 
motion picture is funny. It got scrapped. It was never a thing. And then they took the story from that and ran it in Marvel Comics number one, 1939. And that was Timely Comics' first book. Okay. Timely Comics was, of course, uh, would eventually become Marvel. Right. If you follow the thread. Because then it went from Timely to Atlas, right? Yes. In the 50s, yeah. And then Marvel in the 60s. All right, so, uh, hey, Michael, do you know anything about that Marvel Comics number one from 1939? I just know that it's the first appearance of Submariner and the Android Human Torch. I think it's also the first appearance of the original Angel, right? Correct, the original Angel. I had no idea there was another Angel, but yes, uh, this is not Angel of X-Men fame. This was a private detective who also went by the superhero name The Angel. Right. He didn't have wings or anything. He wore like a blue outfit. And also Kazar is in this. Yes. But it's not the Kazar. It's a Kazar. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. That's true. I didn't know that until later either. You're right. It's a slightly different one than the one from X-Men and all that. Yeah. And and his his last name was Rand, which is kind of weird because then, you know, Danny Rand of Iron Fist. Interesting. So, yeah. But no relation. Although his origin is kind of similar. His parents and him were traveling and he got dropped off in the jungle and so anyway uh-huh. but that's for the Kazar podcast we'll be doing okay <laughs> so uh namor though um he was one of timely comics's big three heroes with captain america and the human torch mm-hmm. so he's one of the big three that's right and, uh bill everett also drew inspiration from samuel taylor coleridge's poem the rhyme of the ancient mariner mm-hmm and do you know how he got the name Namor, Michael? Spelling Roman backwards. That's exactly right. Because he thought he was, he was trying to come up with like a noble sounding name. And he was just writing a bunch of stuff backwards. And he's tried Roman. He's like, ah, oh, I like the way that looks. Namor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the character's history, his father is Leonard McKenzie. And he was a, like a deep sea explorer searching the Antarctic for a lost ship that had been uh, searching for vibranium. And his ship's activity caused Atlantean Emperor Thakor, <laughs> T-H-A-K-K-O-R, if you're scoring at home, to send his daughter, Princess Fenn, to see what was going on. Leonard Mackenzie and Princess Fenn fell in love and made sweet, sweet love, Michael. <laughs> but then a battle ensued between the Atlanteans and uh, Leonard's ship, which I believe was called the Oracle if I'm remembering properly. And that would tie into Namor's John Byrne run. Remember when he did the Namor series? Because I think he operated a company called Oracle. Okay. But anyway, uh, so uh, Leonard and this Princess Fenn made the sweet, sweet love, uh, (laughs) but, but she thought he died in battle. She returned to Atlantis pregnant. Uh Ah. Look out. And she gave birth to Namor. And I guess in Atlantean uh, culture, Namor means avenging son. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's trouble. <laughs> he was originally an anti-hero, Michael. Mm-hmm. He battled surface dwellers in defense of Atlantis. Hmm. But, l- but let's go back to that origin. Sure. Of an Atlantean princess having the sex with a mortal man... Kind of sounds familiar. Birth to the king of Atlantis. 
Oh. Where have I heard of that before? I can't place it. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Aquaman. Oh, right. Aquaman ripped it off. Damn. Uh, again, Namor came out in 39. Aquaman came out in 41. But as we explained last, e- last week's episode, Aquaman's first origin was different. He was the son of a marine biologist. Right. <laughs> who did experiments on him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm, you're right. I might have to revise my business card, eh? <laughs> yes. Jeez. So then I think Aquaman's origin changed around 1958-ish. Right. And they just stole it from Namor. <laughs> That's what they did. They stole yep. it, Michael. Just defend it. Defend your hero, Michael. Uh, he's got green fins on his legs. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. He's got the... Does he have green fins where uh, Namor has the wings? Yeah, but they're part of his costume, so... Yeah, that's what I figured. All right. Um, anyway, we'll get into more about how Aquaman ripped off Namor in a minute. <laughs> but, because uh, I guess Aquaman technically was kind of... he Like, Namor, personality-wise, Namor's a dick, right? Yeah. Like, he's yes. an arrogant prick and smug and hot-headed, I think you would mm-hmm. say. Prone to rage... So Aquaman seems like the nicer fella. Like Definitely. But uh, I guess they did change that over the years, though. They tried to give Aquaman more of an edge, and he right. would kind of uh, do stuff against surface dwellers, quote-unquote, but never to the point that Namor did, right? Right, exactly. Because Namor was a legit villain for some periods of time. Yes, I mean, he fought the FF, and obviously in this issue, he's teaming up with Doctor Doom. So yeah, he was basically a villain, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Aquaman never, you know, crossed into that territory. Never, no. So there you go. There's a big difference there, I guess. Um, but uh, even though he was originally an anti-hero, Michael, during World War II, he fought alongside Captain America and the original Human Torch and Bucky and Toro. And the, I think they were called the All Winner Squad, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he's fighting them filthy Nazis. And uh, then l- later on, years later, they would retcon it even more to make it like so he was part of the invaders. Right, right. That was a whole other series. Your, your boy Roy Thomas. That's right. Retconning. Yeah. Path, right. Uh, so then in Fantastic Four, he had his own series there for a little bit in the 40s. I think from like 41 to 48. And then that got canceled. And then he popped back up again in like 54-ish. And then he didn't return to Marvel continuity, like mainstream Marvel comics, until Fantastic Four, issue four from 1962. Right. And are, do you know the storyline of that issue? That's where Human Torch or Johnny Storm is kind of just hanging out around town. And he doesn't he come across a homeless man? Yeah. And he, I think he uses his fire to burn away yep. his facial hair and his, and his hair, and he yep. realizes it's a Submariner, right? That's right. It's yeah. a great little panel sequence of uh, Kirby. Yeah, I love <laughs> he's, it. He's burning off his beard. <laughs> and, uh, oh my gosh, it's Namor. Mm-hmm. And he recognizes him somehow. Uh, and then Namor still, he lost his, his memory somehow. I, are you, do you, oh, I think there's a villain called Mystic or something that uh, gave him amnesia. Okay. So then to to, uh, remind him of who he is, the human torch says, what what, I'll just fly you out over the ocean and drop you in the water. Hope you can swim. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yep. (laughs) But it worked. Namor regained his mind and 
uh, remembered that he was the king of Atlantis. But uh, then he would still be a thorn in the side of the Fantastic Four, though. Um, like, why was he pissed at... I can't remember why did was he mad at the Fantastic Four then? Uh, I don't remember, but it might it might have just been that he thought that they did something to Atlantis, or didn't he try to find Atlantis and then it wasn't there or something, or it was like abandoned? But you know, oh, what's funny? oh, you know what? I think what it was was he went down once he returned down there to Atlantis. Uh, he found that it had been destroyed due to nuclear testing. Right, but now this brings up my point about Aquaman last week. I'm pretty sure that. In the actual stories from the 40s and 50s, he was not the king of Atlantis. So that was kind of just added in there, right? Like, I don't think he ever was involved with Atlantis, but I could be wrong about that. Wait, what got added in there? Like, Atlantis itself, as far as I know, maybe I'm crazy, but I think that was added in later. Like, I don't think in those actual original stories, I don't know if Atlantis was mentioned, was it? Uh, Namor's original stories? Yeah, yeah, Namor. Correct. They there didn't call it Atlantis, I think, until this Fantastic Four stuff. There you go. What did they call it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Cleveland? Okay, there you go. That, that's what I figured, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. But yeah, you are correct. It, they didn't, Marvel didn't call it Atlantis until now. Right, right. This Fantastic Four stuff. Um, so yeah, but that's why he got mad. So he got mad at the surface dollars for destroying Atlantis and the Fantastic Four is like, represents all surface dwellers to him i guess <laughs> so yeah. and then didn't he try and like kidnap sue storm and he wanted to marry her uh yep yeah that's exactly what happened yep yeah and then i think the story climaxed with her i think she was injured and so he actually either he rushed her to the hospital or he let them rush her to the hospital and that's how the fight ended is that he cared so much about sue storm that uh-huh. he didn't care if he won the fight isn't that nice yeah now do you think sue storm like uh, she was kind of cool with it like yeah i want to go namor He's a lot cooler than, than Science Boy. I think there was a, a bit of a love triangle, yep, for yeah. a few... Because I just read those issues last year. Yeah, there was definitely a love triangle for a while. And I think um, Reed hesitated proposing marriage to her because he was worried that she was actually in love with Neymar. Whoa, look at that. Yep. Um, do you know Neymar's battle cry? <laughs> actually, I don't. What is it? Oh, Imperious Rex. Oh, okay, okay. He would just scream that. <laughs> imperious rex and it's kind of like imperious is kind of like the, the way they spell it uh with a u and no o-u-s it's kind of just like a made-up latin word so oh. people will debate what it means but basically what he's saying is i'm an imperial king so oh, you need right. to like bow down before me interesting imperious rex um namor guest starred in various books because marvel couldn't give him his own series until 1968 because that's when publication and distribution restrictions were lifted. Hmm. And I, I don't know why that is. I guess timely something, or I but I don't There's, know. So you said 68, right? 68. Yeah, as far as I know, I'll tell you why. It's because D, uh, Marvel Comics, their, their distribution was controlled by DC. Oh, because it was it an Aquaman thing? No, it was what it was was. Um, I think what happened was DC somehow controlled the distribution, and so they forced them to only be able to publish like eight comics per month. So that's oh, why you oh, had okay. those, those double titles, like Tales of Suspense, that would have Iron Man and Captain America. Oh, yeah, I I never knew that. Yeah, and then once '68 happened, I'm not sure if they went to a different distributor or what, but then that's why all of a sudden they they you know they gave Iron Man his own title, Submariner his own title, Hulk his own title. That's exactly why it happened. Ah, cool. 
so the original Submariner uh, series, which we will be discussing today, ran from 68 to 74, a span of 72 issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, our buddy Bill Everett actually came back and was writing and drawing this series for a while. That's great. Like issues 51 through 55, and then he was still helping with co-plotting and stuff. But he got sick, mm. and sadly he died um, like around issue 63, I think. He uh, did. And he was only 55 years old. Oh, sad. So sad. But yeah, it's part, pretty cool though that his career, <clears throat> he started out creating Submariner, and then right at the end of his life, he went back to doing them again. So yep. pretty weird. I like that. Uh, the final issue, Michael, of this series, issue 72, featured an unofficial crossover with Aquaman. Yes. <laughs> Would you like to explain this? Are you aware of this? Uh, I don't know the exact details, but it, Stephen Skeet was writing Aquaman yep. at the time, right? And then he went yeah. over... Well, he wrote Aquaman. Aquaman series ended with issue 56 in 1971. Okay. So, so in the last issue of that series... He wrote a story where Aquaman was fighting this monster, and he and he the monster was up on a satellite in space, and Aquaman pushes a button to blow up the satellite to supposedly kill the monster. So then, in Submariner seventy two in nineteen seventy four, almost three years later, Skeets is now writing that issue, and without telling anyone, he put in the issue that you see a panel of someone's finger pushing a button that blows right. up a satellite. And the monster falls back to Earth, lands in the ocean, and eventually reforms, and Submariner has to fight him. Right, right. So no one knew that he was doing this, but he just did it. And I love that. That's pretty awesome, yeah. Mm-hmm. So technically, this is the first ever Marvel DC crossover. Right. So that's pretty cool. I think they did other ones like that. Uh, it might have been Justice League or something and, and Avengers where they did a similar thing where they kind of just did like a secret crossover where like, you know, a couple of the writers were buddies or something or roommates and they just wrote yeah. them as if it was a crossover. It is pretty nuts that the <laughs> same writer would write the final issue of both Aquaman and Submariner. Oh, it's crazy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange. Uh, now, Mike L., uh, Submariner has been part of various groups over the years. Can mm-hmm. you name some of these groups? Uh, well, definitely the Defenders. Yes, he was one of the first Defenders. Uh, he joined the Avengers in the 80s. Yep. And then, oh, well, the Invaders. We mentioned the Invaders, the All-Winner Squad. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. Uh, X-Men. He was part of the X-Men. Oh, like, in the 2000s or something, right? Yeah, and then, then he became part of the Dark X-Men, Oh. which I don't know what that is. I guess no, I Norman Osborn was the leader. Oh, yeah, okay. And right away, I'm thinking, well, isn't Norman Osborn dead? I don't know. I'm so confused. <laughs> he came back, yeah. <laughs> so much stuff. Then he was also part of the Phoenix Five with the X-Men. Mm. And Fortunate name. Yeah, and uh, he was part of the Illuminati. Mm. And who were, who were in the Illuminati? Like Xavier, Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Black, Black Bolt. Bolt. Yeah. That's a Brian Michael Bendis idea. <laughs> Unfortunately. And then after that, he was in something called the Cabal with like Thanos. And are you aware of this? No, I don't know anything about that. Nope. Yeah, with a bunch of villains. He was in with them. Their mission was to destroy alternate Earths. Hmm. So they went around destroying ultimate Earths. I don't know. That's strange. 
All yeah, this is all past my time. So yeah. So that now uh, let's talk about his powers because you mentioned he is considered a mutant. Yes. Which um, there's some debate whether he should be a mutant, should be mutant. Basically, his powers are he has super strength and endurance and all that stuff. Uh, he can swim, you know. He has the telepathic communication with sea animals like uh, Aquaman does. But he doesn't seem to do it as much as Aquaman. Yeah. Like Aquaman seems to really lean on it. Because why? Because Aquaman needs help. <laughs> Namor doesn't. Um, he can summon the abilities of sea animals as well. Like, this is weird, but he can like electric. He can pass electricity through his body like an electric eel. I didn't and, know that. Yeah, and he he can do other stuff like that as well. And then lately, more recently, he gained the power to control water, kind of like a Hydro Man. Okay. He can manipulate water. Uh, he can also heal, self heal, like Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And, I didn't know that. Hmm. But it, he heals quicker when he's in water. Okay. It helps if he's in the water. And uh, the big thing, though, about his powers is he can fly. That's something Aquaman cannot do. Yes. So, obviously, Namor, better than Aquaman. (laughs) And he flies via the feet on his... uh, Well, he he does have little wings on his ankles. And for a long time, people thought, well, that's why he flies. He's got those little wings on his ankles. But... uh, the reason why he's a mutant is because other Atlanteans cannot fly. Humans mm-hmm. cannot fly. So how does he have this ability? He must be a mutant. And they think, some people say the wings just help him steer when he's flying. Okay. But they're not the, re- the source of his flying ability. Because so. really, why wouldn't you just walk up to him and like crush those little wings? They're so tiny. Good point. You could just... When you think about it, it's kind of gross, eh? Yeah, oh, it's real gross. He had these little wings on his ankle. And how do you ever find socks that fit? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, it's funny. So, uh, but yeah, how do you feel about Namor being a mutant? Because then technically, in terms of you know publication, he's the first mutant. Personally, I think it's they they should just drop that idea. Yeah, I don't I'm think. Sh- it yeah, he's. It, I think. It, it, there was a time in the late 80s when the X-Men was so popular that they used to slap mutant on anything they could. <laughs> like, That's basically why they did this, right? Like, right. they brought him back for his own series and they needed him to be more popular. So, like, oh, let's call him a mutant. Right, 100%. And then, like, Cloak and Dagger, their, their book was called The Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger. And then you remember even Spider-Man, he was called the non-mutant superhero, <laughs> just to get that word in there, you know? <laughs> Well, didn't they try and say he was a mutant too, though, eventually? No, that- no, no. They, de- they definitely never did. There were stories where people would suspect he's a mutant, like X-Factor, but then they would prove he's not a mutant. Oh, okay, good. Because <laughs> that's nonsense. Uh, frankly, I'm still mad that they revealed his parents are S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or Ugh. something. That's Worst terrible. Spider-Man story ever, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see, what else do we need about... Uh, I was going to say something else here about... Uh, Namor and what about his ears? We talk about his ears. Well, interestingly enough, Michael, if you look (laughs) at Namor and his pointy ears and his eyebrows, he's basically Spock underwater, right? Yes, coincidentally, who's the actress' name is Leonard Nimoy, which is very close to Namor. Namor. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. Yet, apparently, Spock was not based on any way on Namor because the original plans for Spock. He was supposed to have red skin and bald and right. he wasn't supposed to look like. But 
like so i don't know though i find it hard to believe that someone who was doing the uh star trek makeup or design didn't reference namor when they did it like it's uh, like a spitting image of namor yeah i could i could agree with that yeah yeah so that's definitely strange <laughs> Uh, now, Namor has never appeared in any of the Marvel Universe movies. Because, right. Do you know why, Michael? I believe another company owns the rights, like Columbia or somewhere. Uh, I believe it's Universal. Universal okay. has the rights. But Marvel says that they can get them if they want them. Like, it, it would just be more complicated. And they have put hints into other movies that Namor is in the universe. Really? I guess there was one in Winter Soldier 2... I can't remember what the reference was. And then they made one in Endgame even. Hmm. Uh, because during Endgame, Black Widow's getting a briefing about some earthquakes underwater off the coast of Wakanda. Huh. And one of Namor's most famous villainous acts was he flooded Wakanda. And so people are theorizing that Namor is going to be the villain in Black Panther 2. Really? That would be pretty cool. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, so we'll we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, Namor, he's probably the last big hero missing from Marvel movies, right? I mean, I totally agree. I mean, if you think about all the 1960s Marvel characters that had their own solo books, right? The only ones who haven't got their own movies so far uh, are Namor. And I mean the original Marvel, right, Captain Marvel. But I mean now that there's the Carol Dan- Danvers yeah. movie, that kinda, that kind of counts. So I don't think there's anyone left. So yeah, you're right. I think he's the, the last one. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome though to see Namor. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, it'd be even better though What's if that? he was played by Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> yeah, it would be. It'd be nice, eh? <laughs> That'd been great. Um, I thought I had something else about... Oh, oh, well, there was a crossover with Marvel in DC, Michael, where they had Namor fight Aquaman. Right. And and we should mention, over the years, uh, when they brought Namor... They made Namor... They gave him more of an edge for a while. They had him grow out his hair and grow a beard. And then, miraculously, within like a year, what did Aquaman do, Michael? I think that's a coincidence. A coincidence, my ass. He grew out his hair and grew a beard just to be like Namor. You think so, eh? Absolutely. Hmm. So they did this crossover. Uh, I don't even know what it was called. I guess Marvel vs. DC. Do you remember this? Yeah, I, I didn't buy it. But yeah, I think it was just Marvel vs. DC or DC. Where they, ha- where they had the various characters fight, and then the fans would vote on the winner. Right. And Na- Namor and Aquaman fought. But they gave Namor his old appearance just so you know they wouldn't realize, oh, hell, Aquaman's really copying off of Submariner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I guess they brought in the Human Torch to burn off his beard and hair. And, uh, but do you know who won their fight, Michael? I'm going to guess it was Neymar. It was Aquaman. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and apparently wow. he, he won by summoning a giant whale to jump out of the water and land on Neymar. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> but again, Aquaman can't do it on his own. He has to call in help from his fish buddies. Well, he has a different set of powers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're not as cool, and uh, he ha- he can't beat anyone up with like you know a left hook or a right cross. No, he has to do it with a whale. There you go. I'm gonna drop a whale on you. Fucking Aquaman. <laughs> I love. I still love him. Nothing can <laughs> so, dissuade me. I like Namor much better because like again, he's got that edge to him. You know. Have we mentioned the fact that his costume consists of green 
like speedos. That's it. That's well, they're it. not speedos. They're underpants. Okay. Like speedos would be a little snugger. I would okay. Say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, at least that, at least there's chain mail, whatever that's called, right? Or scale mail. I think scales probably. Um, right. Oh, I know what I wanted to say about Namor. Because uh, he is hot-tempered, he's he's known to these fits of uh, anger. And by the way, the reason we have Captain America today is because of one of Namor's tantrums. You remember right. that? Right. Yes. Didn't he throw the block of ice yeah. in? Right. Yeah. He he was swimming around and he saw some uh, Eskimos on an uh, like an iceberg or whatever, <laughs> like a big, uh-huh. and he saw them worshiping a, a guy in an ice, big block of ice, and he said, "Why are you worshiping this guy?" And he just grabbed the block of ice and threw it in the ocean. And that thawed out Captain America. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. So without Namor, no Captain America. No Cap, yeah. yeah. But anyway, they, they try to explain why he he's, uh, has these fits of anger. And they say it's because since he's half man and half Atlantean, if he spends too much time in the water, he starts getting crazy. And if he spends too much time on land, he starts getting crazy. He has ah. to strike a balance between being on land and in water, or else he gets irritated. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, are we going to talk about really quickly the fact that he has a mother named Namora? I sure. Oh, wait, wait. No, his no. mother's Princess Fen. No, oh, wait, I'm it? wrong. Namora was his girlfriend, I think, or sister. No, wait, I'm trying. I'm looking yeah. her up. He, he had a he had a girlfriend named Minera, I think, like with an M. Um, she was an underwater alien. Green amphibious alien, I think. Oh, she's the cousin of Namor. That's what it is. Yeah. And then there's also Namorita. You know about her? <laughs> no, I do not. She is somehow related as well. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really know how. Oh, wait. Oh, she's so she's Namor's niece. Namorita. Oh, okay. She was in the New Warriors. That's it. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. But you know what he didn't have? Aqua Baby. No, Topo. he didn't. No yeah. topo either. Exactly. Advantage Namor. <laughs> Namor's better. Um, and instead of like Black Manta, I guess his villain would be uh, Tiger Shark or Stingray. Yeah, I, I guess so. But none, neither one of them are particularly no. famous, right? I don't know. Basically, his main, most famous villains are actually heroes. You know, when right. he's fighting Fantastic Four or the Avengers or something. But, um. All right, so that gives you that gets you caught up on all things Namor. Now, for this issue, issue forty nine of the Submariner, uh, Doctor Doom is in here, right? I think it, we've talked about Doctor Doom before and the Champions, uh, but everyone knows Doctor Doom. I don't know. I guess the big thing about Doom and Namor, they kind of have a friendship in a way because mm-hmm. they're both royalty, you know? Right? They're they're, they're kings, so they have a similar outlook. And they were partnering on Supervillains Team Up, right? That's uh, right. One, one through thirteen, I believe they were buddies on there. So uh, that's something. Uh, we also need to discuss <laughs> AIM. Are you familiar with AIM, Michael? Uh, advanced Idea Mechanics. You are familiar with AIM. How about that? Yeah, Advanced Idea Mechanics. And if uh, you kids out there, you might remember them from the old comic books. They always these guys usually wore wacky hats. Right. They were like. How would you describe the hats, Mike? Well, winters, their suits are kind of like hazmat suits, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a good way. Both like flat-topped hats. Right, right. <laughs> right. And uh, their first appearance was Strange Tales 146 from 1966. 
and they are created by Lee and uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. And they're basically an international group of science terrorists. Mm-hmm. They're trying to take over the world through technology. So look out for AIM. And the reason we bring up AIM <laughs> is because in this issue, they are the lackeys of MODOK. Right. Great characters. <laughs> I, I didn't know the background of MODOK. Describe MODOK for the kids who've never seen him. Okay. So how do I explain this? He has a gigantic head. Yes. And tiny arms and legs. Yes. And his head is supported by kind of like, I don't know what this is. It's like a bodysuit. So he looks kind of like, almost like a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> yeah. But he is like a real person. But just, I don't remember his origin, but his head is gigantic. And he, this character was used in Winter Soldier, but they chickened out and made him like a computer program. Instead yeah, of they me- just put his face on the computer. Yeah. Right. Like, I want to see the real MODOK, you know? Yeah. He's basically, yeah, like you said, he's kind of like a flying head. A giant yeah. Head. Right. Um. His real name is George Tarleton. Hmm, I didn't know that. And his first appearance was Tales of Suspense 93, 1967, and he was created by Lee and Kirby. And he was an AIM engineer who was involved in the creation of the Cosmic Cube, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, so in order to explore the powers of the Cosmic Cube, Tarleton was mutagenically altered by AIM to give him an enormous brain. <laughs> really? And his cranium swelled to so became so large that his frail body couldn't support it. So they gave him the doomsday chair. Uh-huh. And that's that that's that thing he's in, that exoskeleton. They call it the doomsday chair. He can like fly around in it and stuff and shoot lasers and whatnot. But um so cool. Yeah. So his original name was Modoc M O D O C. Do you okay. know what that stood for? No, but I know it's something really cool. Mental organism designed only for computing. Okay, okay. okay. But Modoc uh, went a little crazy from working with the Cosmic Cube, and he rebelled against, well, not just working with Cosmic Cube, but because his brain was so powerful. He's like, why am I monkeying around? Why am I a lackey of AIM? So he took control of AIM. Right. Through AIM, and he became their leader. And then he changed his name to Modoc, M-O-D-O-K. Yeah, I know Do what this know, stands for. Yeah, tell the kids what that stands for. Mental organism designed only for killing. <laughs> That's right. That is awesome. Yeah, great. <laughs> <That's so> great. Because <laughs> you think if you're going to change your name, you'll change entirely. But no, he just changes one letter. Yeah, I know. Eh? And <laughs> makes it from computing to killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Great. Yeah. Uh, so then the Cosmic Cube, as we mentioned, its first appearance was Tales of Suspense 79, 1966, a creation of Lee and Kirby. It was created by AIM, and basically, it made any wish a reality. Mm-hmm. It just, but they, it's been destroyed and reinvented and recreated many times over the years. Right. It's basically just a plot device, like an all-powerful thing to drive plots. Right, right. Yeah. And um, in this issue, Dr. Doom is trying to get it. And we should also point out in the movies, this is the Tesseract. Oh, that's right. They just call it something else. Yeah, I mean, I think Cosmic Cube sounds much cooler, but whatever. Yeah, Cosmic Cube is probably most famous because of the Red Skull always trying to get it. 
Right. And he did have it for a while. Mm-hmm. And it, and it could like manipulate reality and shape all kinds. It's very powerful. It's kind of like the uh, Infinity Gauntlet. Well, it's, well, this is the confusing thing is, in the movies, the Cosmic Cube is called the Tesseract, and inside is the Space Stone, which is one of the Infinity Stones. Ah, look at which that. Which in the comics are the Infinity Gems, because they got to make everything, you know, cooler in the movies, right? But I mean, was, was an Infinity Gem ever in the Cosmic Cube? No, no. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, yeah. they, just, they just tried to tie everything together, right? Like, they gave one to Loki's Scepter, yeah. one to Doctor Strange, and on and on, you know? One to the Vision. Right, right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> now, in the comic books, was the Vision, was that a, that wasn't an Infinity Gem on his head? That was just No, none of them were. No, th- that was all just for the movies. It's a, it's a decent idea, but it's definitely yeah. the comics, yeah. Um, so, a couple other, one other character we need to mention in this issue, uh, Cindy Jones. Yes, I've never heard of her. Yeah, well, I'm sure you can regale us with the history of Cindy Jones. No, unfortunately. She's a very prominent character in Marvel history. Okay. Her first appearance was Submariner 47. Okay. <laughs> in 1972, created by Jerry Conway and Gene Colan, the uh, author and artist of this issue. And uh, her last appearance was uh, Submariner 49. So here Jeez. we go. Last appearance okay. of Cindy Jones. <laughs> Probably why I've never heard of her. Okay. Uh, but basically, she... Namor, once again, Michael, when this story... Because this story is over three issues. It started in issue 47. And Namor is, once again, suffering from amnesia. I know. I noticed that. I don't know what's going on with this guy. <laughs> yeah, he, I know. He's always losing his memory. I'm not sure why it happened in this issue either. I... <sighs> I have no idea. I tried to research it and find it. I couldn't find an explanation, and I didn't feel like going back and reading all the issues. So I'm just going to pretend a flower pot fell on his head. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. that's the way it usually works in old sitcoms and stuff. So uh-huh. uh, he got hit in the head with a flower pot, lost his memory, and Cindy Jones just happened to de- befriend him on the streets. I don't know. And they became buddies. And then Dr. Doom recognizes Namor, obviously, because they're chums. And he knows that Namor doesn't know, have his memory. So he's like, I want to use Namor to help me get the Cosmic Cube from MODOK and AIM. Because they have the Cosmic Cube. And so he, he kidnaps Cindy Jones and uses her as leverage to have Submariner help him. Right. And that's where we're at. So in this issue, Namor is inside AIM headquarters which I think it's like an underwater headquarters or something. Right. And he's in there fight, facing off against some uh, Modox androids when this issue begins. So that's where we're at. We're all caught up finally. A lot right. of backstory. Right. Um, so let's talk about the cover, Michael. Sure. Uh, do, you, do you know who drew this cover? I'm going to guess. Oh, it wasn't Gene Colin. It was probably Gil Kane then. That is correct. It's a Gil Kane cover. Right. And would you like to describe it for the kids? Sure. We've got the the title at the top, Submariner. We've got featuring the menace of Modoc. Yeah. And then we see Modoc kind of floating, and then uh, these are his robots, right? Yeah, his so, android minions. Right. They're carrying Submariner, and uh, Submariner is kind of like knocked out, and uh, Modoc is saying, "Prepare the chamber beyond. This day, Namor dies." And at the bottom, it says, at last, the Cosmic Cube. Yeah, how about that? And uh, we got 20 cents 
20 yep. cents. It's a lot of entertainment for 20 cents. And uh, underneath that, we get the little character logo of a Submariner standing with his trident. Very cool. Pointed into the ground. And if you notice, Michael, but what, what, do you notice anything else about this cover design? Uh, yeah, well, the, the art is all in a black square. and there's yes. yeah, Or a square, and there's black above and below it, which I know they did that for the annuals for a while, but I didn't realize they were doing it for the monthly books, too. Well, they were doing it in this Submariner for a little over a year. Okay. Um, they, they ended it, like, trying to think how many other issues after this. Not long after this, they quit doing it. Maybe okay. like, or maybe it was by issue like sixty three. So I guess that would still be another year. I don't know, but mm -hmm. um, they eventually get away from it. But they did it for over a year. How do you feel about it? Like, there's a there's a box, like to describe it, at the top of the book where the Submariner, the title is, it's all black. Right. And so then all the actions in a little box centered on the cover. Yeah, so you lose about, I don't know, at least a quarter or a third of the page to this yes. black, right? And then some of the, <clears throat> like one of the androids' feet, a couple of them are overlapping the bottom edge, so they're getting, they're outside the box. Right, right, right. And they always use the bottom space beneath the box to put in some more text. So on this one, we have At Last, the Cosmic Cube. Um, it's an interesting idea. I don't think I like it, but... Uh, <laughs> well. I guess the thing is, is most of this art outside the box would have been covered by text anyway, but it's still, it, it feels a little bit restricting. Yeah, it's interesting, but I'm not sure I like it. Right. Uh, sorry, Michael, that brings us to the big splash page. Prince Namor the Submariner, and this issue is called The Dreamstone. Uh, are we going to talk, did we talk about Gene Colan? Uh, well, we, I mentioned that he's the artist here. But uh, okay. we'll talk about them later. Yeah, we'll talk about them later. Yeah, so basically, yeah. So written by Jerry Conway, drawn yep. by Gene Colan, edited by Stan Lee. And then we have Frank Giacoya and, uh, on inks and Joe, John Costa on, as the letterer. So yeah, as you said, Submariner is in Ames headquarters. He's about to get attacked by these androids. And Modoc is, you know, egging them on. Androids attack him, you know. So... <laughs> Basically, Submariner... Yeah, is, we, we should say the androids are like, even though on the cover they're depicted as purple and stuff, in, in the book they're like all orange, basically, yellowish-orange. Yeah, that's a bit confusing, yeah. But yeah, same guys, yep, so they're all orange. They look exactly like people, except they have little, like, masks over their faces, kind of. Yeah, because they're worried about the COVID. Yeah, exactly. So basically, Submariner is, uh, you know, it's all fisticuffs, classic Marvel action yes. here, right? Punching yeah, that, people out of the frame, I love it. That panel, the first panel on page two is tremendous. Yep. That's a great, that's a very graceful shot there of him punching them. <laughs> it's great. And then they're wrestling. You can see the, the next panel, they're like grabbing him like around his thigh, which is a little weird, but it's okay because they're robots. <laughs> and then yeah. he's punching them away. And then, you know, he's sparring with them. They're shooting lasers at him and he's ducking out of the way, you know. And then, uh, and then basically, uh, he's still fighting. <laughs> and then yeah. basically, they subdue him, right? He can't fight them all. Well, well Modoc subdues him. Right, Modoc does. The mind blast. His dread mind blast, that's right. But then Modoc has to, like, it's weird because they don't have a panel of the mind blast hitting him. It's a, it's a real close-up picture of Modoc, and you see a red flash. And then Modoc says, he twists. He falls. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's providing the commentary, the play-by-play. -play. And then the next panel, Namor's already knocked out, and the androids are carrying him away on their shoulders. 
And I love how you can see the bodies of the one of <laughs> yeah. them in the background all destroyed with like pieces of them hanging out. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And then you hear over the intercom, you know, uh, so now, yeah, so now we cut over to Cindy Jones, the infamous yes. Cindy Jones, right? Yes. So this is Namor's newfound friend who yes. she's trying to plot and escape from Doom's entrapment. So she's in Dr. Doom's headquarters. And then she hears an announcement come over from MODOK. Attention, Dr. Doom, if you're, if you've any fealty for your amphibious ally, I suggest we hold a meeting. And so then it's funny because I really found uh, Dr. Doom's characterization different in this issue than what, what I'm used to. Oh. He's definitely more, uh, I guess, fallible and kind of, um, well, we'll get to that later. But in most of the stories I read, he's so powerful and so infallible, it's almost boring. But in this issue, I like the way they, they write him or the way oh. Jerry Conner writes so yeah, anyway, we get some weird storytelling, like you just said, like, we don't really see where, she, where Cindy Jones is, we see a close-up of Doctor Doom, then all of a sudden, he's flown a jet to the top of AIM headquarters, right? And he's getting yeah. out, and he's, and he's uh, entering this headquarters through this stairway that goes down into the headquarters, right? Yes. So, yeah, so he comes down, and he starts chatting it up with MODOK. And uh, basically, he explains to him that he, that Modoc explains that he has Namor, and what's his name? Uh, Dr. Doom's like, I've come to talk, you know what I want. And Modoc's like, you want what you cannot have, you were a fool to come here, doctor. You made a blunder my android children would never have made. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, so basically, so... so yeah, who, Doom so, wants the Cosmic Cube. That's just what I was just about to say, yeah. That's what he wants. He wants the cosmic cube right and modok has captured uh submariner and dr doom is loyal to him so he's going to try and rescue him yeah and doom gets into this big speech about uh maybe that makes that what makes him human and he'll embrace that unlike right. his androids doom is That's at least maybe, human. yeah doom is usually more cold-hearted than that so uh, yeah maybe, yeah it's a good point but seems different yeah so then basically modok activates a, he hits a button and he unleashes all of these robot androids or whatever they are to fight Dr. Doom. <laughs> he gives them a, a side slap sock and he starts fighting back. And again, now it's more fisticuffs, right? Fighting these androids. And, and look, on the next page, Michael, we get a scene of Doom's men getting ready to lower themselves into the AIM headquarters. And now Doom's men are colored purple and orange. Do you think there was confusion on the cover that they... That could have been, yep. Like they covered him as Doomsman instead, but this is weird because we 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 now get in the POV of just an unnamed Doom henchman, right? Like we even get an internal monologue from him, and so that's strange to go into a POV of, and I, I guess what do we learn here that's important? Well, he's talking uh, about he's uh, you talking about Kenner. <laughs> well, he's talking about a guy named Kenner, but right. this is not Kenner. No, this is not Kenner, Kenner is missing. Right. Yes. So I guess that's the key info we get, that Kenner is missing. Right. So we didn't know before this scene, but yeah. I guess we needed to get into someone else's POV for that, but uh, eh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I mean, scene, oh, oh, so this, is, this is what you were calling uh, in an earlier episode. What did you call this? Bouncing around or something? Uh, head hopping. Is head hopping. In the right. Yeah, place. it's sloppy, but yeah, I think I guess it's the only way to get across this information, right? Well, I don't know, because I mean, we, we've clearly seen Kenner in previous issues, and then th we see him now in a couple other pages where you could just, you know, cover that ground with narration, you know? Sure. But, yeah. um, whatever. That's what they chose to do. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we see Namor tied up by the androids, by the uh, Modox robots. Right. And but he he needs to come up with a plan how he can escape. So what? Right. <laughs> what does he do, Michael? So I love this. He says to one of the robots, "You bring me water. I need to drink. Or don't you know that things alive need liquid to live?" And I love how then <laughs> Jer- Jerry Conway added in this bubble, uh, this thought bubble. He does not answer, but his actions speak. Now, if he brings it close enough, ah, there is a supreme being, and in this hour at least, he's on Namor's side. Smash! He breaks the glass, right? <laughs> Which yeah, this is well. This is weird. First of all, when Namor says that thing about living things need to drink, it's almost like he's trying to take a dig at the android robot. Right, right. You know, right. I need to drink, not like you, you filthy robot. But like, he's a robot. He's not going to care. Right. Uh, so when the robot brings him water, he like brings it to him in this weird like test tube shaped thing. Right. And I guess it's close. Like I don't. I'm so confused by this because why couldn't Namor just drink the water? But exactly. instead, he has to headbutt it with his. <laughs> Head, like break it open uh, i know if you just look at the art it's more like the robot was doing something else with the with that water and then namor broke it that would make yes. more sense so but maybe maybe this one of those marvel method things that we're I confused think so yeah i think gene colin meant it to be what i said yeah for those uh who don't know the Marvel method, basically Stan Lee would talk to his artist for like five to ten minutes and say, here's what we yeah, want to yeah. do. Uh, now you go and do it. You go create 20 pages of art, and then when the art's done, they would send them back to Lee, and then he would put in the dialogue and script it. Right. So, yet he would take credit for writing everything. <laughs> this is true, yes. So yeah, maybe Colin... When he created it, he he thought of what you said, like the guy's just walking nearby with some water or something, right. and Namor headbutts it and cracks it. Because uh, really, if you're going to give him a drink of water, just drink. Because the the key point here is Namor gets power from water. Right. Like he becomes stronger when he's around water. So when the water spills on him, he regains his strength and busts out of his shackles. Right. 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 And I like that panel. That that's a cool image of him breaking through out of the shackles. Right, pissed. and then right, and then smashing into the robots. Scroom, right? Yeah. That's great. I love the art here. Uh, yeah, 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 me too, me too. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, so then he, course, this is great too. This is he, this is classic comic book stuff. Where he up. finds a button labeled Cosmic Cube. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he hits the button, and then like, what is this little door opens up? Yep. And then he sees something. No, never did I dream. No, and then it just cuts away. And then I love the narration. He who looks into the eyes of the Gorgon will interest us later. Presently, we turn to the worried Cindy Jones. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's in prison and she's like kind of like looking at her guard or whatever. Yeah, first of all, let, let's, we got to go back to the button labeled Cosmic Cube. Okay. That's the best. That's yep. the best. I mean, because really, it's Modoc's headquarters. He's the only one who would be monkeying with it. Androids don't need a labeled button saying Cosmic Cube. It's just. So apparently that label's just there for Modoc, but he's supposed right. to be so smart with his brain, he's going to forget what button is for the Cosmic Cube. It's it's great. I just so love it. The thing is, this is the kind of thing <laughs> they would have on the Adam West Batman. Yes, absolutely. But this is like serious. That's what makes it yeah. awesome. I yeah. love it. <laughs> so then, yeah, so Cindy Jones has to come up with a plan to get out of her uh, little cell there. So what does she do, Michael? <laughs> uh, what does she do? Wait. She hikes up her skirt. Oh, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. And then you can see the guy's face. I love that, yeah. right? Look on the guy's face. 
Yeah. So, so uh, then we cut away from Cindy Jones again. We'll get back to her in a minute. Um, but uh, oh, there's a there's a little note here from Stan Lee too. Um, it happened last issue, but we can't talk about it now. Damn. Yeah, I love that. And then we cut back to Doctor oh, Doom. Well, I should say the notes were referencing uh, Cindy Jones in her thought bubble. She says that Namor saved her from a nightmare. Yeah. Now she has to try and save him. You know. Right. A little bit. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So, then, so now we're Doctor Doom again. Right, and then he's like, "More androids. Your pe- your penchant for the mechanical amazes even me, Modok. Amazes, but unfortunately does not amuse. So now he starts fighting more robots. Right." And I love that picture on the next page of where he's extending his arm and shooting lasers at the androids. Right. I just love like the weight and the thickness of his armored gauntlet there, the glove. Right. Yeah. It looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then like the next panel is great of him shooting like three or four of them there. That's really cool. And then, oh, then the next panel at the bottom is like straight out of How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. The way he's standing confronting MODOK, that's great, eh? Yeah, you, st- you stand alone. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he shoots his uh, lasers or whatever at MODOK, and then MODOK vanishes, and then we realize MODOK was never, it was never actually MODOK. MODOK is talking to him through a TV screen. That was just like, I don't know if that was an illusion or what that was, but he's yeah. gone. I wasn't sure either if he teleported somehow or if it was just like a hologram. Uh, um, I was confused as well. Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's a hologram, but who knows? Yeah. So then, basically, so then Doctor Doom's buddies or his minions, they 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 kind of meet up with him, and then uh, and, then, uh, and then we cut over. And now we finally see Kenner. Right? Yes, Kenner. <laughs> so Kenner is actually working. For Modok, right? No. Or no, Doctor Doom, but he's just pretending he's working for Modok, right? No. He, what? This is this is where this gets confusing. He's work. He's pretending to work for Doctor Doom. He's supposed to be part of Doctor Doom's crew. Okay. Right? But he's secretly working for someone else. But it's not Modok. Oh, okay. And would you like to know who he's working for? Who is he working for? Well, I would like to know, too, because they never explain. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I researched the character Kenner, okay. and he's only in this little story, and they said they never reveal who he is working for. <laughs> so, great. Okay. Huh. But he's supposed to be undercover at Doom, and his mission is to kill Namor. Huh. That's his mission. Interesting. But we never find out why or who he really is. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's just one of those stories they just drop and never resolve. So awesome. I love it. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> and it comes back later. Yeah, like this is actually a crucial part of the story, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Pivotal. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so now Doctor Doom. So what is he doing here? He's got his little like laser scalpel thing. Yeah, he calls it something. He has a what does he call it? Uh the driving rays of my submolecular disintegrator plunge right. to my goal. <laughs> right, because he's trying to get to the cosmic cube, right? Right, and then Kenner, great name by the way, he comes up behind him and hits him in the head with like it's sort of like a crowbar, but it's just a big metal beam. <laughs> yeah, right? lead pipe, bang. Yeah, lead pipe, and he hits it. This is kind of like violent. He hits oh, him in the head many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, now I love Gene Colan's art. And the picture, the panel of him cracking uh, Doom over the head for the first time, the perspective on the lead pipe is all screwy. Yeah, it's a little sloppy. And it It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, because the way it's situated in his hand, it would have to be like made of rubber to be bending like this. Right, you're right. Because his hand is, 
straight at the reader, but yeah. the pipe is kind of like, like towards the reader. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense. sense. But still, I love Gene Colan. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so Kenner just starts wailing on Dr. Doom, hitting him repeatedly in the back of the head with this right. little pipe. <laughs> kind of gross, yeah. And then, uh, and then he, he basically comes across... Well, let's, let's read the description. Read the little description. Uh, okay. The narration part of it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty the good. sentence ends, only now does Kenner feel the strangely consuming warmth from beneath him. Only now does he turn, his mind going blank, at the spectacle he has unwittingly become a part of. He feels the warmth crawling over his spine like a thing alive. Then he feels nothing. Nothing save an overwhelming urge to scream. A need which abrum- abruptly ends when he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Doom was digging in to try and get to the Cosmic Cube, but Kenner knocked him unconscious. But Doom had done enough work that the Cosmic Cube started to burn through. And so Kenner was able to look into its power, and he just disintegrates. Right. He turns into ashes. Yeah, he's gone. So basically, Kenner saved Doom's life. Right. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, so yeah, look, I I didn't realize this. So yeah, her hiking up her skirt worked. Yeah, so yeah, we come back to Cindy Jones, and the guard has his arm around her, and he's like, hey, why don't we go for a walk, lady? Or he calls her sister. Hey, sister? (laughs) Let's say you and me, dot, dot, dot. Go for a walk. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> I, uh, I've got a better idea. I'll go for the walk, and you can stay here. And she knocks him out, right? Yeah, she's with, got with, her high heel shoe behind her. Shoe, yeah. She cracks him right in the face. I really don't know if that would knock him out. It would fuck up his face. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it would yeah, knock, him, knock out. him out, no. <laughs> but maybe she's wearing one of those, uh, you know, vibranium-laced yeah. high heel shoes. Exactly. Just knocked him unconscious. So then she sneaks down into the AIM headquarters because she was on that ship that, uh, you know, Doom landed. You, you said he landed on top of the headquarters. Like she was right. up in that ship. So she comes down and she's looking for Doom. Well, she's looking for Namor, but she stumbles upon Doom. And uh, she sees that his feet are burning, Michael. He's getting a hot foot from the Cosmic Cube. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's passed out. He can't get up. So she help, she's trying to help Doom, and she's trying to pull him away from the Cosmic Cube. Right, yeah. So she basically pulls him to safety, and then we cut back over to Namor, who is still fighting robots, right? Yeah, I love androids. Just yeah. fight more androids. Yep, he knocks out a couple more of them, and now finally he gets to the big boss, right? MODOK. Yeah. So MODOK shoots him with a laser, and then, uh, and then Namor strikes right yeah namor and, doesn't care he's getting hit by this laser by modok but he just doesn't he doesn't care he's just powering right. through it because why mike oh he's namor the king of atlantis way right. better than aquaman well, some some might say some might say so then we cut back to well, uh, well, he Doom. picks up modok and just throws him oh yeah that's right yeah and then modok's like no Th- this and is then, very this is very similar remember when iron man was picking up that tank and that yes. issue we did because he's right. like, A, your androids would not move in this way, nor would they press you, press your fear, your near, wait, what does he say? Nor would they press your near overwhelming attack, but Namor does, for Namor is a man. Yes. <laughs> Love it. You see yeah. Modok's feet flying through the air. It's cool. His stubby little feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so then we, then we go back to Doom and Cindy Jones. Right. They Do- Doom's like... She doesn't know what's going on. He, she's like, the cube, you little fool. Don't you see? I must have the cube. And so then Submariner comes in. Doom, if your life holds any value, value to you, 
you dare not move any closer. I released the cube short moments ago. Even now, its unleashed energy builds to destruction. And so basically, Doom gives up, and they take off in the jet, right? They yeah, Namor, by- he finally listens to Namor. He's like, all right. Um, well, Namor and Cindy Jones climb back up into the jet, and Doom's still down there deliberating what to do, you know? Right, and, uh, right. But he, he finally agrees. And this is some, yeah, some great Marvel storytelling where we got a giant close-up of his face, and the next one, we just see him climbing up the ladder, and the next one, he's, obviously, the jet's taking off, and he's in it, so it's really cool. Because one of the reasons he wanted the cube, he's thinking here, uh, perhaps I may have uh, made me my hideously scarred face human once again. Right, right. I've left this armor behind forever. Right. Yes, but only perhaps. Now, it shall never be. Doom remains doom evermore <laughs> yeah, i leaves, love it and they fly away in the ship and uh then the they get away they they emerge out of the water and then uh the cosmic cube explodes yep and blows up the aim headquarters but oddly enough like modok he doesn't die here we no. see him elsewhere so. um and the cosmic cube like i said comes back as well which i'll get to a little bit later um so yeah next we see doom Standing on the street, uh, they're oh, they're in New Orleans. Well, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Namor and Cindy Jones has her armor on Namor, and uh, they're just chatting on the street beneath a street lamp. <laughs> what are they talking about, Mikeo? Well, basically, Doom is like, you know, um, you know, take good care of this girl, Namor. She saved my life. And then he basically is like, well, look, he's like. Uh, Oh, yeah, he, he brings up the fact that Namor's memory is gone, which I already forgot about. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, your memory, you, know, uh, you know, your memory is gone and you know not what you've done. Yet I do feel indebted because there may indeed be that thing called fate. And perhaps I am what I am for some higher purpose. Because of that, I'll give you a warning, Namor. And he basically warns him about, uh, what's his name? Um, Tanner. Uh, Tanner. Uh, Kenner. Tanner. That yeah. the man who struck me was intent on killing you. My records seem to have been tampered with. For I've since found he was not the man I hired. Think on it, my friend. You may discover enemies you've lost. At any rate, at least you've gained a friend. There you oh, go. Look at that. Yep. Doom, being friendly. So mm-hmm. then Doom disappears into the mist. Uh, mm-hmm. Just uh, New Orleans. And uh, Cindy Jones and Namor are still standing there, arm in arm. And, of course, they go back to make sweet, sweet love. Yep. And the end. That's where it ends. Um. And then next issue, Namor's 50th issue, surprises galore, including mm-hmm. the return of an old friend. Is it know. Kenner? You think it's Kenner? No, it's not Kenner. We never see Kenner. He's been burned to ashes. All right. <laughs> okay. So that's the Submariner. So uh, this, of course, was written by Jerry Conway. We've talked about Conway many times on this mm-hmm. podcast. But uh, he wrote issues 41 through 49 of the Submariner, and this was from 71 to 72. This was some of his earliest work in Marvel. Uh, at the same, in 71, he was also doing some work on Iron Man, Hulk, and he wrote the first uh, story of Man Thing in 1971 nice. as well. Um, but then, right after this, is when, like, this was his final issue of Submariner. This, I believe, was like April of uh, 72, and yeah. then by August of 72, he started The Amazing Spider Man. And, oh, nice. And he did that until 1975. And, of course, that's the death of Gwen Stacy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what did you think of Conway's writing here? I actually really liked it, you know? I mean, especially considering he was, what, 12? 
<laughs> he was no, but he was like nineteen, wasn't he? Uh, I I can confirm that, but yeah, keep talking about it. I'll confirm. But yeah, basically, I don't know. I mean, I know that when I was growing up, Conway had kind of a bad reputation. Like Harlan Ellison called him the worst writer in the industry and all that. But I've I always liked his run on Spectacular Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man. And then I liked I went back and read his Amazing Run. I like that. And it's like every time I read a Jerry Conway comic, I really like it. And it, and I like the writing in this one, the dialogue, the narration, everything. Uh, like like you said earlier, it's very much like a Silver Age book in a lot of ways. Right. And um, the it's kind of weird because I would say like normally I would say it's overwritten in a way like almost stilted language and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we are dealing with Doom and Namor. Right. So I think it fits. You know. Um, like even the narration is kind of like really highfalutin, but <laughs> I think it fits. Yeah, like I know that all the guys were imitating Stanley at this point, but I, I enjoy this more than I would and enjoy. Uh, sorry, more than I would enjoy Roy Thomas. I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, Mr. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And you were <laughs> correct. He was only uh, he was not yet twenty when he's doing this. Wow. He wouldn't turn twenty for a couple months yet. Uh, his birthday's in September, so. And this was like April. So there you go. How about that? Yeah. Good for him. What were you doing when you were 20, Mike? I was just thinking about it. Nothing. Nothing close to this. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, I had a paper route. All right. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Me too. So, but yeah, I like the writing here. It, it's, 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 uh, like I said, it's not like, uh, it's not flowy and effortless. It's kind of like forced and like uh, highfalutin, but it still works. I think it's fine. It's fine, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, when you compare it to like Roy Thomas or something, holy hell is it good. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, the artist here, uh, Gene Colan, we've never talked about him on the show, but he's one of the greats of uh, yes. comic book art. Uh, he was born in 1926 in the Bronx. Sadly, he passed away in 2011 at the age of 84. Wow. His first comics work was actually in 1944. It was a summer gig. He drew a story for uh, something called Wings Comics, like an aerial, uh, huh. uh, I guess, war story, maybe. And then he joined the service for World War II. He originally joined the Marine Corps, but I guess he wasn't technically old enough yet, so his dad pulled him out. And then once he became 18, he, uh, he joined, for real, uh, he joined the Army Air Corps. And he was supposed to be a... Uh, gunner uh, for uh, like a bomber or an artillery gunner. Okay. And then, then the war ended, so he he didn't see any combat. But uh, after he got out of the service in 1946, he got a job at Timely Comics. And he said, in those days, you just uh, called up the art director, made an appointment, showed up, showed him your sample, and they hired him. And wow, that's how he met Stan Lee for the first time because Stan Lee was also working at Timely. Right. Um, after Timely, because uh, they there was a big downturn in the industry and they laid off a bunch of staff, so he got let go and he worked for National Comics. And what would they become, Michael? DC. And then he did work for Atlas. Yep. And that would become Marvel. Right. And he was working for DC when Stan Lee lured him over from Marvel uh, to to come to Marvel in the in the early sixties, and. He, uh, well, maybe not in the early 60s, but in the 60s. I can't remember when he first came over. Um, but it, when he met with Stan Lee, he, 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 did, he came over to Stan Lee's house, and he, had to do, he was doing something for Stan Lee, some project. And he, he said, he, I want you over here at Marvel. Come join me at Marvel. 
And he said, I'm not just going to leave D.C. I mean, you got to give me some incentive to just come over. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. And Stan says, well, I can't give you more money. I mean, let's face it. Eventually, D.C. is just going to fire you and then I'll hire you. He says, says, all all right, Stan, but I'll I'll stay at D.C. So then the next day, uh, Stan Lee called him and said, all right, I'll give you more money. Wow. Interesting. So he said Lee was just trying to bluff him to see if he'd come over. So he got more money out of Stan Lee, that little weasel. Yeah. Uh, so one thing about Lee, though, is he always had a good working relationship with Colin. And in that era, Lee was trying to get everyone to mimic Jack Kirby or Steve Ditko. Right. And he did not do that with Colin. <clears throat> he just Really? <clears throat> he just said Gene could do what he wanted. He just let Gene write his, do his own stuff. Huh. I mean, you definitely see some Kirby influence here, but well, not, not to the extreme of others, I would say. But, yeah, yeah, definitely some Kirby, because like I said, there was that one shot of Doom from behind that's like textbook Marvel style. And even when I was a kid, sometimes when I'd see Gene Colan's art, I would think it was Jack Kirby. Oh. So there's definitely some similarity, you know. Um, and then uh, in 1969, he and Lee co-created the Falcon. Ah, right. He was the first African-American superhero. Right. See, this is tricky because people nowadays, they hear African-American, they just think, oh, that means, no, no, Black Panther was African. Ah, good point. Good point. Yeah. That's the tricky part. But Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, what's his last name? Sam Wilson. Sam Wilson. He was American. So there you go. That's African-American. There you go. There's the the tricky part there. Um. (laughs) And then uh, he, he's probably most famous for drawing Daredevil back then. Um, he, did, uh, he did 84 issues from issue 20 to 157. And that was a span of 13 years from 1966 to 1979. Uh, he actually drew Iron Man issue one in 1968. Okay, I think I knew that. Yep. Yeah, like he didn't stay on that title. He just did issue one. Really? Uh, okay. Interesting. But he, didn't he do uh, a bunch of issues of... Uh, Tales of Suspense before that with Iron Man? Uh, possibly. Okay. I, I do not know. Yeah. Because um, I never keep track of that stuff. Tales of Suspense, I never understand. I never know which ones Iron Man's in and which ones Thor's in. You know what I mean? So, there's, you know. way, there's ways to find out, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Uh, he did the entire 70-issue run of Tomb of Dracula. Whoa. From, okay. I didn't from, know he did the whole run. That's cool. Yeah, from 72 to 79. And he really wanted to do it. Uh Stanley actually gave the gig, I think, to Bill Everett first, if really? I remember properly. And uh, but um, Colin really wanted to do it, so he drew up a, his own issue of it or whatever, and uh, and gave it to to Stan. And Stan called him back, and says, "All right, it's yours." And wow. he ended up doing the whole run. And during that run, he created Blade with uh, B- Marv Wolfman. They co-created yes, Blade. That's true. Yep, the Vampire Hunter. Uh, then he did 26 issues of Howard the Duck as well. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. From 76 to 79. He left Marvel in 1981. Would you care to guess why, Michael? I believe he went to DC. Yeah, but why did he leave Marvel? Oh, he got into an argument with Jim Shooter. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> he hated Jim Shooter. And Shooter was making his life miserable. So he said, I'm out of here. And he went to DC and then from 81 to 86, he was basically the primary artist of Batman, Michael. Yes, that's true. He only did 10 issues on the Batman title uh, from 340 to 383, uh, but he did 35 issues of Detective Comics uh, from the span of 510 to 567. 
So in those years, he was like the lead artist. If you were reading Batman in those years, he was probably the most famous artist of that time. Absolutely, yeah. Like when I, I had a bunch of those issues when I was a kid, and yeah, they were almost all Gene Colan. Yeah. Uh, then fine, he did he did a bunch of stuff, obviously. So we're not going to. But then uh, in 2009, at the age of 82, he he actually drew the 40 page Captain America issue 601. Uh, yes, and I bought it, and from my memory, it was not particularly great. It won an award of some sort. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he did the, the the issue in a weird style, like he used um, uh, like a weird technique, like what's that called, like uh, like not coal, not charcoal, but some kind of weird technique. But I don't know. I didn't personally like it, but yeah, that's that's cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, they, they, it's, I did read that he uh, did some techniques with like wash or something they would call it. Yeah. Like wash over the book. But um, yeah, so then sadly he died at 84. But that's pretty impressive at 82. Still drawing. Right, right. Because, uh, yeah, good stuff. So I, I love Gene Colan's art. It's very, How would you describe it? It's like very moody. And we got to give uh, credit here to Sam Giacoa too as the uh, anchor. He was tremendous here. Right or Frank G. Yeah, Frank G. Yeah, I yeah. What's his name? Gene Colan. He's he's never been one of my favorites, but he's definitely like for the right comic, like for Dracula, he's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for Batman, he's good. Even like the, the Iron Man stuff he did that I've seen is definitely good. And yeah, he. This is um. I definitely like the art in this issue. It's classic Marvel to me. You know. Yeah, when I think Colan, though, I think like more like almost gothic kind of like heavy dark heavy shadows right. a lot of blacks um, right definitely creates an atmosphere in the book right uh, he, he's perfectly suited i would say like you said for horror comics just yeah. the, the feel he brings to his stuff and i, I think his art here is great um mm -hmm. just like he's mentioned classic marvel punching and posing and <laughs> everything there were a couple times where i wished he would uh pull the camera back a bit there was a bit there's a, like a lot of extreme close-ups and stuff. I would have liked to you know, get a little more distance on a few. Yeah, I can only guess that maybe he was rushing and he's like, oh, well, if I just draw an extreme close-up, that'll be easier to draw. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. Less background. Um, and there, there was a couple weird compositions, like when Doom was fighting some androids. Like He would do this thing. He did it a couple times. You mentioned the one where like Namor's punching the androids and they're coming at the viewer. So right. their their body parts are obscuring things, and it worked in that Namor one because it was framed nice. But there's one of where Doom's doing it, and like the android's legs almost right in front of Doom's face. It's kind of like the okay. composition is weird. Okay. Um, but uh, it's still great stuff. I loved it. So I don't know a anything else about any other Gene Colan. Like uh, obviously you reading that Batman stuff. Um, yes. Did you? think he's one of the better batman artists i've never seen any of his batman yeah stuff. definitely like when i was a kid th that was one of the first guys i saw draw batman and i always thought it was perfect for that for, mm -hmm. for something like batman so yeah i've always you know i've known his art my like a long time and i've always thought he was great well, that's good to hear um yep think we'll ever do a tomb of dracula oh i think it might already be in the works for next october could be <laughs> next halloween who knows? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael, any final thoughts on this Submariner issue? Uh, only that, you know, I, I read a bunch of comics around this era written by other writers, and I was not excited to go on and read more, but I definitely want to read more Jerry Conway Submariners. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and let me just say this about the Cosmic Cube. It does come back, 
and the next issue I will pick features the Cosmic Cube again. Ooh, so interesting. Okay. That's why I picked this one. Interesting. So, so, all right, one out of 10, what would you give it? I'd give it a solid 7.5. 7.5. It's tough. I I wasn't as enamored with Jerry Conway as, I didn't like the writing as much as you. Okay. But I love the Jerry Conway art. Or the Jerry Conway art, <laughs> the Gene yeah. Colan art. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but there was a lot of punches, mm-hmm. a lot of beaten up uh, robots. Um, but again, it seemed like it wasn't the greatest, though. I, I'll go seven as well. Okay, okay. I wanted to give it an eight, but I, I think that's too much. Uh, I'll go seven. Sure. So seven. I get My standards are slightly lower only because in 1972, I know that this is... Better than like better than the average comic at that time. Yeah, it's really good, and I love the uh, Colin's mm-hmm. art. But uh, I had some issues, but yeah. still really good. So yeah. se- seven, solid seven. All right, all right. Um, next week, Michael. Next week, we are returning to a book I believe we've already done twice. Oh, Daredevil. Holding off on my choice because uh, you picked it a few times, but we're finally going to get back to. The Avengers. Oh, all right. Number 175 featuring not only the Guardians of the Galaxy, but Korvac. This is the Korvac oh, Cor- quest. Yeah, the okay. Yes. <laughs> I never read any of this. This is Jim Shooter again, right? <coughs> yes, it is. James <laughs> Shooter and David Michelini writing. And then on oh. pencils, actually, this one's dead. <laughs> Unfortunately, a bunch of issues around this time had uh, George Perez. And Sal Busema, but this one is drawn by D. Wenzel. But I wonder if that's just a pseudonym because it looks like pretty freaking good art. So I wonder if it's just someone, maybe it's like two guys drew it and they just made up a name for it. I don't know. Yeah, because I've never heard of that artist. But uh, you know what I'll do, Michael, is I'll research it. There you go. Avengers 175. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I am excited. So. Uh, and I'm pumped because I've been I've been trying to you know slot in every Guardians of the Galaxy appearance, but it's been hard because they did like twelve issues in a row of Avengers, and I knew I couldn't do them all, so I had to pick just one. So this is it. I almost picked a book with Guardians in it, and it wasn't the Avengers. I can't remember what it was now. Was it Marvel Two and One? No, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, were they ever in like the Defenders or anything? Oh yeah, they were for sure. Okay, then it was probably a Defenders title. Huh. Um. But anyway, uh, so next week, Avengers 175. What year did you say that's from? Uh, it's from 197. Where is the year here? 78. Oh, all right. 78. Yep. Um, so, yeah, w- just a couple more years after that, Jim Shooter pissed everybody off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, that's something to keep track of. Now, Mike L., uh, before the show, you were telling me that you've started another podcast. Yes, for those that don't know, so we, this is Flea Market Fantasy, we also do Here Comes the Spider Cast, which are two official comic book syndicate podcasts that you can find on Spotify. But on and top you also of did that, the Quasar. Quasar. We used to do Quasar oh. Chronology, which has been temporarily halted, but it, we might pick it up one day, we'll see. Oh, I thought you guys stopped because you already talked about everything you had to say about Quasar. Well, we, we covered every Quasar appearance before he got his own series. So we stopped in 1983, but technically we could oh. pick it back up at Quasar number one one day. How, how many issues did the Quasar series have? Three? 60. Four? 
Yeah, wow, that's way more yeah. than I yeah, yeah. So there's many more episodes that potentially could be on the way. But then anyway, besides those, we also, I participate in a, something called Nerdy Book Club, which we turned into a podcast. It's a, it's basically, it started out as a, as a pot, as a, like a monthly book club at a comic book shop, Detroit Comics, but then I started recording it. So Jolie and I turned it into a podcast and now we're reviving that online. So that's monthly. And on top of that, now we also do a Windsor Public Library book club that of course we can only meet virtually because of the quarantine. So I secretly recorded our first episode and that will probably be turned into a monthly podcast as well. <laughs> secretly recorded. Yep. Uh, and how many people participate in this book club that you're doing? Uh, the one that the secret one that we just started is only four, but the nerdy book club is like 15. So, so four people discussing what book? Ah, uh, good question. The first one we did is Kingdom Come by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. I don't know what that is. Really? Oh, it's too bad it's in 1996 because we could have re- reviewed it on Flea Market Fantasy. Like, what's the, going on there? Kingdom it's Come. set. It's a very. It's a really famous story. It's basically set in the future at a time when Superman has kind of retired, and it's all. It's all older, right? Like. Batman's an old man, he's wearing kind of like this armor, and Wonder Woman is no longer the queen of Paradise Island, and they've been replaced by all these younger, more violent superheroes. They're kind of like, uh, kind of like inspired by image comics, right? Like really oh, okay. violent and whatever. And so the point of the story is for the, the old DC superheroes to kind of come back and prove that their way is the better way, you know, but it goes on from there. So it's really cool. And I hope at the end, the, the new generation rises up and kills the old folks. Whatever not happens. quite, not quite. Oh, man. Oh. All right. So, anyway. All right, so if you don't have enough Mike L in your life, yeah. <laughs> you can get a little bit more. I was once told by a girl that I like to hear myself talk, and now <laughs> I am proving her right. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like we said, if you want to hear any more episodes, we are on Spotify. Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all under Comic Book Syndicate to make it as confusing as possible. But yeah, definitely search Comic Book Syndicate Free Market Fantasy. And we do a new episode every Tuesday and we review a different Bronze Age comic every week. So, this has been number 39 of Free Market Fantasy. And until next Tuesday, disperse! (laughs) 